Yeah, that was so not Dream Warriors. What the fuck? I thought we were watching Pretty Woman. Oh, I love Pretty Woman. TCQ video. What do you want? Seven days. No, um, no. Sorry, ma'am. We only do rentals by the day, so no week-long checkouts. <clears throat> Seven days. Okay, listen, I just told you, 69 cents a day, can't get any cheaper than that. If you want to keep it for seven days, pay the 483 and, you know, be my guest. No, no, you have seven days. And I'm telling you, we're not open seven days a week. What do you think this is? No, no, so, uh, ah, fuck it. Uh, hello? Hello? I think it was your dad. <laughs> Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. We all go a little mad sometimes. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be <laughs> Welcome to the Carpenter Queen's podcast, the weekly pop culture horror queer show where we talk the best and worst the horror genre has to offer. We come to you live from the TCQ Video Store. Your favorite VHS rental spot where you can pick up the horror classics for only 69 cents a day. I'm the big gulp you get behind the 7-Eleven. My name is Raymond. Oh my god, you're f***ing pal. You're welcome. (laughs) Hi Jackie, it's Jackie. Yeah, we need to talk. (laughs) My name is Nick. (laughs) I didn't watch that video. It's been a hot minute since I watched that video. Hello, everybody. Welcome, our spooky and kooky weirdos. This store is freshly cleaned, and we are excited to show off our new snack shack. Our snacked selection is ever going for our stony buddies in our life. Please enjoy $2 mystery bags of candy and some week old popcorn. Woo! It's just like, like just the amount of stale that you can handle without being sick. <laughs> Just the right amount of crunch. <laughs> we are closing in on our Scream Makes Month. The remake Renaissance has been up for discussion, and it's time to discuss a flick that started a new wave of remakes. But before we begin, we would love for you all to comment and rate the podcast. If you love what you hear, hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are streaming, please. Listeners, we have just received a single tape shipment of a video with disturbing imagery. And it's not Lord of the Rings. Oh my Do you God. dare watch the tape? Come with us to the back as we discuss the J-horror remake that rocked the horror community. This week, just remember... Before you die, you see... The rain. And now, our feature presentation... You can stream this dark remake on Pluto TV and Paramount Plus, or have the VHS tape passed to you from a friend. <gasps> I did not know it was streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm annoyed because I had to go dig out my Blu-ray of this. <laughs> you say this every single time, and yet you and I both know, we both know, we would rather dig through our stuff than anything else because there's just like a sweet satisfaction of knowing that <laughs> I own this movie so shut up i actually just ordered two more blu-rays from shell factory yesterday because they See, were i so don't want to hear anything <laughs> i hate you you're over here like i can't believe i had to dig you just had to get up off your couch that walk was over the problem, to the living bitch. room i was sony baloney i was chilling 
Speaking of stony baloney, mm. let's head on over to our favorite segment. 420, which is smoking. What did we smoke with this week's vlog? I have been on a baby Jeter kick and I had to try out all their, all their stuff. Like now that I've tried, I've tried quite a few of their uh, strains. I tried the Blue Skittles, I tried uh, the Maui Wowie. And so those were, one was Sativa, one was Indica. And so this time I decided to go with a hybrid. I can't show it. I decided to go with a hybrid and I went with uh, Fire OG. Ooh. it was fire. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What did you smoke with this week's, uh, you know, movie? <laughs> I hate you. This week I smoked OG Kush from the pen by Craft, Al- Craft Alternatives or something like that. I'm a horrible sponsor. I'm terribly sorry. But uh, <laughs> why we don't have sponsors, Jackie. Jesus. Thank you so much. Uh, fantastic. Really good. The only thing and i guess i'll talk about it when we start diving in because let me let me transition here let's smooth transition while we delve into an investigation (laughs) on who created the cursed tapes let's discuss how we came to watch this movie yay i hope we have the same memory i really hope we have the same memory oh i already know what you're gonna bring up i already know I already So know. I, I'm going to talk about mine then. So the first time I watched this movie, you came to visit us when we were stationed in Fern Irwin in the middle of f***ing nowhere. Literally. Like Hills Have Eyes type of stuff. Straight up. Straight up. We decided we were going to watch newly released on DVD movie, The Ring. Forewarning, I haven't seen this movie since we watched it together that night because i remember yes because i remember being terrified terrified (laughs) of what we were watching i was still a big chicken this came out this was out on dvd by like i want to say what 2003 yeah 2003 so i was 11 10 ish still a baby still a baby queen and i got to watch this movie i remember immediately after this movie was done because it was just you and i home my brother and sister were somewhere else. My parents went out on a date. And y- were you watching us? Were you watching no, me? No, I, I was watching you and Anthony. And I don't remember. Was Mia born? There. She was born. I could not have been watching. She had to have been an infant. Oh yeah, she was a bebe. Okay, they must have taken her, or she wasn't born. Whatever. It, I just remember it being you and your brother. That's what I remember. And I remember you babysitting us, and then all of a sudden, immediately after the movie finished. The home phone rang. And then all of a sudden you walked up. I remember all of this in slow motion. I remember it so vividly. Vividly. I was still wrapped up in a blanket, still processing the movie. You walk over to the phone. You pick it up. And I just see your face go white. White. Nick. Nick. I'm not not joking. It just said seven days. And then I just, the pit in my stomach that dropped, it was like the Tower of Terror, the floor just came out underneath me, and then all of a sudden we hear cackling, cackling from the other side of the phone. They could barely contain their enjoyment. It was my parents playing a horrible prank, but because of that prank, I haven't watched this movie since I popped it in last night to rewatch it. That is insane to me. I can't Trauma. even watch it. Trauma. And ever since then, I've been I've been terrified of Samara. My sister used to, after her bath, would throw her hair down in front of her and crawl down the hallway. I this movie has plagued me back, for Reagan. years, years, years. 
Um, I, I too remember that night very vividly. And uh, it was a scream, baby. But um, <laughs> that was a good one. That Your parents got us good that time. Oh, and they got us good. I don't. I want to say that was not my fir- that was not my first watching of this movie. I think you had I- watched it and you brought it. Probably. It's like, yeah, Nick, I'm, I'm here to babysit. I brought a movie for the kids. <laughs> it sounds like you. That sounds I like you. I can't believe they let me. They let me. Anyways, I remember uh, I remember showing you that. And I, I, I do remember your parents calling and just, I remember like picking up the phone. And I think it was your mom. And she was just like. And I'm like, ah, it's <laughs> I remember freaking out. And you, I think you cried. <laughs> I did cry. I cried. I couldn't go to bed that night. I had nightmares for weeks. Do you know how terrified I was? I knew I was waiting for the seventh day. I was oh waiting. Oh, my God. Waiting. This is how my anxiety started. Okay? So, don't... <laughs> I hope they hear this episode. I hope they hear how much they terrified me. So this was probably like my second or third watch. I I don't really remember my first watch. I do remember being excited for this because this movie was hyped. And this, like my we God, said. God, it was everywhere. And like we said, this is our first uh, J-horror remake. So this is like, well, we'll get into it, I'm sure. This is what kind of started the trend. So I remember being really excited for this because the marketing for it was so very vague. And I'm definitely the type of person, especially with almost any movie, the less you tell me, the more, the more inclined I, I am. Yeah, the more I am inclined to like, ooh, give me more. What, what's the story? What's the ring? What's the tea, Seth? Yeah. I remember being very interested. I don't remember. I want to say like the first time I watched was probably on home video, which probably made it all more terrifying because at this, what, no, 203, I was probably still watching on VHS. So to watch a horror movie about a VHS tape on a VHS is very meta slash horrifying. And they played that baby up. Within 24 hours, this movie sold about a million copies on its VHS release date. Dang. This movie broke records. I can't wait to talk about it because there's there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know that this movie did. So I'm really excited. So let's check out the VHS's special features and find out how this movie was made. The Ring, released October 18, 2002. It has a runtime of one hour and 55 minutes. An excruciating runtime. I don't, I personally, I do think there are sections that I'm like, this could have easily been cut, but I don't mind it nearly as much as I did in some other movies. I'm looking at you, House of Wax. It's not that scenes could be cut. It's that scenes don't need to be as long as they are. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. No, I'm fully on board with that. Okay. This movie is rated PG-13, the only PG-13 movie we discussed this month. And I find that fascinating. So moving on to taglines. In the well, no one will see the ring. Everyone will suffer. Ooh. Before you die, you see the ring. Ooh, great timing, that, Jackie. That last one is my favorite. Before you die, you see the ring. I love that one. I don't mind these. They, like you said, they're pretty ominous. They're very ominous, mm-hmm. and I think they play well to it. Um, I can't wait to talk about the marketing, because the marketing on this one is so fun. It gives me remnants of the Blair Witch Project in terms of, like, we're going to try and sell this as real as we can. Okay, Pe- yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Our director is Gore Verbinski, infamously director of the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, funny enough. Put in some pirate music right here. I'll throw in a cannon. Throw in a cannon. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. That's such a jump in genres. It's so random. But this also gave us the pairing of Hans Zimmer doing the soundtrack for this movie, which I also didn't know. And he would go oh. on to work with him on the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack, which is arguably one of the best from the modern Disney soundtracks oh, yeah. to come out. Are you kidding me? I uh, love it. Hello, Hans Zimmer. I, I'm sold. As soon as you mention his name, I'm sold. The original novel, Ringu, was written by Koji Suzuki. The 1998's film screenplay was written by Hiroshi Takahashi, with a remake screenplay going to Aaron Kruger and some rewriting going by another one, which we'll mention later. Now to our cast. We have our star of the film, Naomi Watts, as Rachel Keller. We know her from this film and 2001's Mulholland Drive. <laughs> Sorry, if no one knows that one, that is from our Cursed episode. Cursed had a ridiculous amount of times they would say, oh my god, we're driving on Mulholland Drive. Drive. (laughs) That movie wanted to be LA so bad, sorry. Anyways, this film and 2001's Mulholland Drive would help catapult her into international fame. We have David Dorfman as Aiden Keller, who we just discussed in another remake episode where he played Jedediah in the Texas Chainsaw Drag Branch. Come on, Jedediah, play another creepy kid. Creepy kid alert. It's going to happen all <laughs> the entire episode. We need an alarm. Uh, we have Martin Henderson as Noah Clay. He's so hot. It's the eyes. Uh, it's the stubble. It's the eyes. It's the jawline. I can do the without hair. the hair. Like, take off your f***ing flip-flops. Take off. I'm gonna. I'm gonna mention it so many times. It makes me irresponsibly upset. I'd rather you upset. walk around barefoot than f- or flip flops. Thong flip flops. <laughs> From Old Navy. <laughs> Don't. They were five dollars, and you got them. You got two for ten. They were two for five. They weren't even two for ten. <laughs> Davy Chase as Samara Morgan. Brian Cox as Richard Morgan. Shannon Cochran as Anna Morgan. Jane Alexander as Doctor Grasnick. Lindsay Frost as Ruth Embry. Who the f- Oh, okay. Her sister. Yeah. <laughs> Amber. I was going to say, who the f*** is Ruth? There's a lot of players in this one. I didn't realize that until the cast was being shot out. I was like, oh. We have Amber Tamblin as Katie Embry. Rachel Bella as Becca Kotler. Richard Lineback as the innkeeper. Polly Perrette as Beth. Sarah Rue as the babysitter, who I absolutely adore. I f- love Sarah <laughs> when she popped up I legitimately gasped you gay gasp like oh yeah full gay gasp you know the gay gasp and all of a sudden your your like wrist can't help it and they just go oh, you know <laughs> we're gay zombies when we see something really gay we're like oh. <laughs> we have motherfucking Adam Brody doing a very Random. small role in here as Kellen who is uh, credited as a male teen. <laughs> Go off. TCQ alumni, come through Jennifer's body. Oh, yeah, it is Jennifer. Jennifer's body. It's where it's haunting us till this day. Running under cast, we have Michael Spound as Dave Embry. Moving on to reviews. IMDb gave it a 7.1 out of 10. On Metacritic, it averaged a 57 out of 100. Our friends over at Letterboxd gave it a 3.3 out of 5. And Rotten Tomatoes is scoring a 71% on the tomato meter and a 48% audience score. Those are pretty solid slash polarizing scores. That's how I feel about it, too. And so I looked at these reviews before I watched the movie. And from what I remembered, and from what I remembered, I agree with the 71% and the 7.1 out of 10. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. this movie just terrifying me. Going back now as a seasoned horror movie... 
uh, veteran and watching it. Because you did serve for our country. It's, it's thank you for your service. <laughs> it's it's all atmosphere. It, it's mm-hmm. there's no real elements. There's a handful of very good jump scares, but besides that, it's more dreadful. I would say than horror. Yes, I agree. It's more like um, we have this impending doom that's mm-hmm. coming. It's looming around, so we're constantly just on our toes, and we're all constantly looking over our shoulders. Anxious. It just makes you very. Thank you. It makes you anxious. It makes you nervous about what's going to happen next. Everything builds to like a culmination at the very end. You're very right. And I think that's what this movie does so successfully. I really enjoy how this movie builds. It just, it's so, I remember after watching it the first time I had, I felt like I had to take a shower. Like I felt (laughs) dirty after watching it, but like in the best way, it's the same vibes I got from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And that's mainly due to what they do with production. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. And I think it also has to do with, the I would say smart storyline mm-hmm. and how they treated her I guess no you're totally 100% right but let's move on for budget we have a budget at 48 million which is three times the original budget of Ringu by the way everybody oh, Amer- sure. the American production company had so much faith in this and rightfully so because our box office gross worldwide income would be 249 million dollars Jesus Christ this like, movie made the money. Which is why it spawned a horrible sequel. Oh, let's not talk about the sequels. Let's just not mention those, please. But wow. $200 mm-hmm. million on top of your budget. Wow. Wow, That's wow, amazing. Wow. That is an amazing turnaround. For our production, this film being a remake of Hideo Nakata, 1988 horror film Ringu, which was based off of the Koji Suzuki 1991 novel of the same name. The novel is the first part of a trilogy, Spiral and Loop being the sequels, and the premiere would go on to sell 1.5 million copies in its run. This was especially after the 1998 horror film. It just boomed. I want to talk about it. I, we, I mentioned before recording, I didn't know if we wanted mm-hmm. to mention this, but I think you are correct. It is extremely important. In the original text, it is not just alluded, it is an integral part of the story that Samara is intersex, and she is also, trigger warning everybody, she is raped and then murdered. It is a big plot in it, because this mm-hmm. style of ghost, so the type of ghost that Samara is, is based on the mytholog- mythological Onryo, a Japanese ghost that manifests after dying in the grip of powerful rage, and there returns as a very mm-hmm. pale and physical ghost to seek revenge on the living. And it makes sense within the storyline, especially from the original novel. And also mm-hmm. to note, in the original novel, the main antagonist is, the main protagonist is a male, and they switched it over in the movie in 1998 and kept it in this one. And I think it plays so much better. I think it creates better tension from a female mm-hmm. perspective especially having a character i can't wait to talk about her who's so flawed it just plays <laughs> into like the plot i mean that in the best way yeah, I, no. th- yeah, to yeah. Pl- play within the story but i find it unsurprising that within the american audiences we take away the intersex quality and gay erasure of this type of character and then oh, create yeah, a little girl like how do you feel about it because that's why I wanted when you told me. So he Nick brought this up before we start recording and asked me, should we mention this? And I thought it was important that we mention this because this happens a lot with POCs, literature, artwork, po- whatever, anything that any sort of POC person does, and it gets you know you know 
somebody wants to grab onto that like oh this is good we need to use this we need we need the world to see this they'll take it and then they'll strip away things that quote unquote will make people uncomfortable maybe people won't react well to whatever the case may be and then they'll quote whitewash it for the masses so that's exactly what happened here in my opinion they're like mm, intersex like you know people won't react well to that rape and torture i don't think people are going to react well to that which granted <laughs> you shouldn't react well to those things but it's, that's the point of the stories it's part of the story and the point of the story is that the sadako curse ghost die when it, it's only manifested when they die in the like passion pit of rage so being raped and tortured and and enduring all these things is what made her this way and so the fact that you strip that from her story kind of takes away from the, the original. power yeah it takes away from the power and the original like mythos and folklore of the japanese culture i think that's great that's a great storyline you just yeah, i think you hit it perfectly on the head and it's, it's also important to the story that samara in the original text is also an adult so they also switched the age they switched a lot of what goes into it to americanize it i want to say that i am full-heartedly in agreement with you in terms of like i wish they kept the essence of what made that text the text mm -hmm. but by switching it to a little child does it elevate anything for you does it add anything for you and i feel like i'm asking the wrong person because you fucking hate kids <laughs> <laughs> no you know surprisingly enough I, re regardless of my feelings about children in cinema and in real life as well anytime something tragic like that happens to a child i always always sympathize like for a child to endure something like that and for their life to be cut so tragically short that's heartbreaking and tragic. So I think that was, if you were going to strip away everything else, like the intersex and the rape, everything like that, and you just turned her back into a child, I guess that's one way to get your audience to sympathize for the character. And that's, that's what they did. And that is what they did. Um, I'm so glad we talked about it. I'm really glad we talked about it. Yeah, we had to address it. We had to address it. And it's very fascinating to see how Source material can be changed and warped as it, like, progresses in its, like, lifespan, so. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, really quickly, I know we need to move on, but, like, I know you need to adapt for different audiences. Mm -hmm. I just wish we didn't adapt so much. I fully agree. I fully agree. Um, it's also interesting to see in just terms of this month of remakes we've seen the vast span of what a remake can look like a direct remake an interpretation um a reimagining and Ooh. also like a a requel is what we called it mm -hmm. our scream six calls it a requel and this one being a foreign film that is translated into american audiences is so interesting to see and how that changes as well like how do we adapt this for our audiences and i can't wait to talk about it when The Ring would go into production, it would do so without a completed script. Aaron Kruger would write about three drafts of the screenplay before Scott Frank would come in to do the uncredited rewrites. Originally, the production team had offered the remake to David Lynch direct. He, however, turned it down. And for our casting, Gore Verbinski deliberately chose not to cast any major stars. He wanted the audience to go in without an impression and to see the film unfazed. However, Jennifer Love Hewitt was offered the lead role, but turned it down. <laughs> I find that so fascinating. He's like, I don't want people to recognize her. And then Jennifer Love Hewitt, party of five. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> what? I want to see it. 
I want to see it. I want to see I it. I would love to see it. Is there a test screening? I would Let's love get, to see it. Can we get a copy? Well, Is there a VHS tape? That's the ring tape. <laughs> <laughs> it was also rumored to have been offered to Jennifer Connelly, who would later star in a J-horror remake, Dark Water, in 2005. So, irony. And some other rumors were Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Beckinsale. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Gwyneth? I know. I know. I know. Gwyneth. I know. I know. Goop. She's gooped. I really like Naomi in this one. She's a good screamer. She's a good screamer. She's a great screamer. She's a great screamer. She's got beautiful eyes. She does great close-ups. She, she does, does good. She does. She does great. I think she does a good job. In order to retain the original film's minimalism, the production team decided on Seattle as a U.S. setting due to its, quote, wet and isolated atmosphere. And I think it plays well. And this is Seattle. It's not downtown LA malignant. Okay? For the film's color scheme, they decided that everything was to be tinged with the color green to give the film a sickly and unnatural feeling. And that makes sense when I told you that I felt dirty after watching this movie. <laughs> this movie, I want to say this might have been the one to start. If not start, popularize. I'll be careful with my words. That sickly look. Because it goes yeah. on to like the rest of remakes or even Literally. movies during that time period. Like, hello? I think with remakes they feel like they kind of have to add this layer of grittiness or rawness to it to make especially it feel during this more time real. period especially yeah. during this time cuz this is this is really post 9/11 like just post 9/11 so i think we're we're getting we're that that tipping point oh yes and then one last artistic choice to talk about is the film not using a title card or opening credits there is a flash of the ring during the DreamWorks logo, but nothing else is used. You jump straight, straight into the movie and nothing distracts you. And it honestly, subconsciously creates unease in your audience because you're like, what, what is this? I've never (laughs) felt this before subconsciously, like all of a sudden you're in it. And I think that's great. I love it. I, my favorite thing is the opening logo with the little tinge of the ring and the DreamWorks logo. I'm gagged that DreamWorks, produce this let first them? of all <laughs> yeah. oh i know come on Shrek. but also but also did that like let them put the the ring in the moon it's just so cool like i'm i'm all about those little details well on my dvd copy and i do want to talk about it because they did some interesting marketing stuff for this movie but um for my dvd when i press play and it showed you remember what dvds would show you like copyright just you will go to jail for 10 years if you copy this movie that Mm -hmm. also started freaking out and etching and like skipping itself it was rad they went as far as putting that into that movie and it's on purpose because it's talking about copying movies and this movie is about copying the original (laughs) movie clever clever bitch clever girls for our post-production, let's talk about promotional gimmicks, y'all. You want to talk about promotional gimmicks? Let's talk about promotional gimmicks. There oh, you were... want to talk about promotional gimmicks? <laughs> there were so many rumors surrounding this film, which is fitting due to the film dealing with urban legends. And apparently, many promotional websites were formed featuring the characters and places featured in the film. So, the promotional websites in question remind me of the Blair Witch Project, when they would create fake like mm-hmm. uh websites about the actors gone missing and that's what they did with this movie just to build hysteria around it and it's 2002 websites were everywhere for ridiculous things you remember when people thought i need to buy websites in order to be rich like that's how i was going to get rich was by buying domains and htmls it was a big <gasps> yeah. thing it was a huge thing and that remind this is where this for me starts i could see chat rooms about it 
The video from the curse tape would supposedly play in late night programming over the summer of 2002 without any references to the film. Also rumored, physical VHS copies were also randomly distributed outside of the movie theaters by placing the tapes on the windshields of people's cars. Are you f***ing kidding me? I would cry again. <laughs> Does anybody still have these tapes? I want oh my them. god, I would buy one. I would buy one. I would buy if one. If listeners one. know where we can get one, hit us up. DM us. Slide in the DMs. Oh, please and thank you. Amongst other, for other reasons. Nudes too. We're not opposed to that. <laughs> The film's financial success was massive, this being the most successful remake of the remake Renaissance and of remakes in general, period. The film wasn't dethroned until 2017 by the remake of Holy shit. It. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't either, and it blew me away. that This movie was everywhere. I remember this movie being everywhere. You're not wrong. This movie was huge. It was humongous. And... It's shown in not only like what we're about to get into about what it spawned, but also <laughs> I for me, you know, you hit it big when you're referenced in pop culture. So when you're yep. being made fun of on SNL, when you're being yep. made fun of in like a spoof movie, like scary movie, when everybody is saying your catch lines and you know, you've made it big when you're like on late night talk shows. Like what? You're in the lexicon of pop culture. <laughs> Seriously, seriously, do you remember the clip? I, this is in Japan, though. It was where she comes Samara, out. <laughs> where she comes out and throws the ball, but she falls on her face when she throws the ball. I'm going to have to put it on her Instagram. I have to put it on her Instagram. It's so yes, fascinating. I remember. It, it was everywhere. And lastly, because it was everywhere, the film would go on to open doors for other American remakes of several Japanese horror films, including the Sarah Michelle Gellar horror film, The Grudge. Uh, Ooh, don't do that. <laughs> Dark Water with Jennifer Connelly and The Eye with Jessica Alba. I didn't watch Dark Water, but I watched all of these. I really would love to talk about The Grudge. I would love to talk about The Grudge. Let us know. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Hit my DMs again and send it with a dick pic or write oh like what you want on your dick. <gasps> you need to leave. Speaking of dicks, let's head on to <laughs> 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 the break. I hate you. We'll be right back after these messages. Our movie opens with our production company's logos already engulfing us in the cinematic universe. We join our protagonists, Katie and Becca. Katie is blabbing about TV frequencies and airwaves while Becca mindlessly channel surfs. When the TV proves fruitless, Becca asks Katie if she's heard of this tape where if you watch it, you die. Katie's face grows with fear as she demands to know where she heard that from. She explains that she wasn't with her parents last weekend. She went to a cabin in the woods with her bubble butt boyfriend and his friends. She goes on to state that the boys were trying to record a football game but got horrible reception. When they played the tape back, it was something else. Katie pretends to choke and pranks Becca, which erupts in a pillow fight. The brutal pillow war doesn't last long as the girls' fun is interrupted by a phone call. As the phone rings, Katie stares at Becca, completely frozen with fear. Becca confirms, there really is a tape. The girls take their sweet-ass time going downstairs to answer the phone. When Becca answers the phone, she silently hands it to Katie. Katie is relieved to hear that it's just your mom. They have a short conversation and Katie tries to head back upstairs when the TV turns on in the other room. 
She goes in to investigate, at first blaming Becca, but then she finds the remote on the couch. She turns off the TV and begins to walk out of the room when it turns back on. This time, she leans into the TV to look closely. Frightened, she unplugs the TV. When the screen goes black, she is able to see a figure in the reflection of the screen, which frightens her. She hesitantly heads back upstairs, calling for her friend. When she reaches the top of the stairs, she sees water coming out from under her door and her doorknob dripping. When she opens the door, we get a quick edit of the white noise, the videotape, and a silent screaming Katie, all cut to an eerie cue sound. What an opening, bitch. Okay, y'all, and to you, I know you're gonna make fun of me, and I can't, it's because it scared me so much as a kid. I legitimately- Scary movie. Legitimately. No, not scary movie. Legitimately, oh. I was nervous to watch this movie. I It could have been because I was high, but at one point I even had to turn to John Paul and I was like, can you just like watch it with me? Like, unfortunately they went to bed. And so it was like, I haven't, like, ugh. Because I haven't seen it in such a long time, I think I played it so much in my head to be bigger and scarier than, honestly, kind of what it is that we mentioned it's more dreadful than mm-hmm. anything. But I had to... I had to give myself a pep talk before I watched this movie because I was so nervous to play it. Even when the movie started, (laughs) I had to get a blanket. It dissipated as it went on, but I was so nervous. And this opening scene doesn't help. This opening scene, all tea, all shade, I guess, is my favorite scene in the whole movie. I I think it's well-directed, and to me, it reminds Mm -hmm. me of Scream Without Being Scream, just in terms of, like, it's a great opener. It's a really solid opener. To me, it feels like an urban legend that someone's telling you at a campfire. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Like, it's almost like... It's like a... When you're having a sleepover and the girls mm-hmm. are like, ooh, let's tell scary stories. Yes. That's what it's giving. Yeah, and, and in itself, I feel like this could be a short short movie. Like, you, this could be its mm-hmm. own short movie, and I think that's why I like it so much. I do love other scenes in the movie, but this for me is just, it's a, it's a smack, bitch. It's great. I agree. It's a great cold open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're kind of you're kind of just thrust in on these two girls, and it, it's a really mundane conversation, which is why I think it's so great. They're just blabbing about bullshit, and then all of a sudden, you know, they try and spice it up because they're bored and they start talking about this tape, and then it freaks out Katie, and that's what really sucks you in is that Katie's a really good actress. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot her name. Amazing Amber Amber Tamblin. She's a great actress. She really delivers in her short amount of scenes that she has in this movie, mm-hmm. and. She emotes so much through her face because she really genuinely is terrified when she hears that phone ring. She's genuinely terrified. And, and even if she was pranking, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm just playing. I'm not having an emotional reason. <laughs> <laughs> Life's not there. <laughs> Wiping away the tears. You know what I mean? for fun. I'm laughing. I, unfortunately, we are going to have to reference a scary movie because I got pulled out. You were with Josh this the weekend? The pillow fight. Uh-huh. <laughs> I expected it to erupt in it. That's why I wrote in there a pillow fight. Because I was expecting it to erupt into a huge like pillow fight and their breasts to like pop out of their shirts. It's great. It's this is this is really good. And you're right, Amber Tamblin kills it. It's fantastic. Come through landlines. We get to see landlines again. It's oh remember landlines? <laughs> we still have one hooked remember up. Remember VHS the tapes? Uh, that, uh, but that's what I love about this movie. I know at the time that this movie came out. It was, it was what this movie was. This was the time period. This is a, a snapshot of what this is. However, because of this movie's tone and like, 
uh, atmosphere, it feels like its own little world. Like it, this feels mm-hmm. like it's cap. It's its own world that we're witnessing. I love seeing the landlines. I love seeing the shots of making the landline feel menacing, feel like a mm-hmm. feel like a terrifying thing in the way that they shoot it. Yeah, well, because it's it's a major device throughout the movie and for the story. So it's it's essentially its own character. So they really kind of gave it its own shot to make it a character, essentially. Like any phone, though, can be a character. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, no, it really does that. Uh, I. God, I just love this opener. I love their interaction between the, t- the the two characters. Even when she gives her the phone and she's like mouthing to her while she's while Katie's talking to her mom, ask her where she keeps her Vicodin. Just... I have to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. You're that friend. I am that friend. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand percent. I love all this. But like you just stated, I can't help but think of scary movie with this opening. With the scene. mom on the phone. I... <laughs> Yes, but I love what she. Hold on, I'm sorry. We're just gonna reference scary movie again throughout this entire episode because I love in scary movie when she answers the phone. She's like, "Hello, is there?" It's like some old lady. It's so stupid. Hi, but I digress. I digress. Like you said, like we both have seen it. It sounds like uh, the crypt keeper. <laughs> she was an old lady. <laughs> sorry, you were saying. This is a great opener. It's a fantastic opening. And I think it does a, a great job of quickly laying out a, 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 a story, a preface, and then giving you your first kill that's so mysterious oh. and ominous that you don't know what happened. And I love that you don't get to see what happened to her until later. Oh, same. Same, same, same. In the most wicked way. The most wicked way. I love the water features in this thing. I love that the faucet is dripping. I love seeing all Mm -hmm. of it. I want to talk about the quick cut because it is the quickest cut. And it is the jump scares used in this movie are this. They are exactly jump scares. We've talked about cheap jump scares and that they're not warranted. However, this Mm -hmm. is one of the few jump scares that I don't want to state that it's unnecessary. I want to say that it makes you terrified for the rest of the movie because you don't know if it's going to happen again. I agree because they they really do like jump scares they come out of nowhere but they are done in a different way it's not like boo somebody coming out of the closet or oh there was like somebody behind the refrigerator it's a memory it's more like it's a memory so it's intercut with the movie it's an edit it's not something that happens in camera and it's great it is it's really great but let's move on from this movie because this movie is two hours we have things to say what you say we meet our main character at school Aiden is in class drawing with his teacher, and we hear faint arguing in the hallway growing louder and louder as the voice reaches the door. Rachel barges in, ending a very heated work phone call. When she walks in, Aiden says he will wait for her in the car as his teacher asks to speak to her. His teacher brings up the fact that Aiden recently lost his cousin, whom he was very close with. She babysat him every day. The teacher also brings some drawings made by Aiden depicting his dead cousin being buried. Rachel chops it up to being a coping mechanism, but the teacher quickly shuts down Rachel's theory when she says he drew these pictures over a week ago. Later that night, while tucking Aiden in for bed, he does that thing that all creepy kids do and says that they don't have enough time before they die. Before Rachel can even calm his little head, he states that Katie knew she was going to die, and then he says goodnight and rolls over. Creepy kid alert! We meet our main characters, Rachel and Aiden, a.k.a. Damien. Seriously, this kid is one possession away from being Damien. Creepy-ass kid. This was before uh, Texas Chainsaw, yeah? Oh, three, yeah. 
So this kid was busy. This kid was busy being creepy. creepy. <laughs> I want to ask, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody. It's going to offend someone, but go ahead. Do they put makeup on this kid? Because he kind of looks the same from here and test <laughs> <laughs> No, you look great. You look fine. <laughs> He's method. He didn't get any sleep for like a month before Seriously. Shooting. Seriously. Aiden looks like he hasn't slept in... Since he was born. Aiden hasn't slept since he was born. He was born at a very young age. And he just... <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! Like Samara, he never sleeps. Oof. Oof. How do you feel about Rachel first? I want to talk about Rachel first. She, okay, so this is her introduction, and her introduction is not a great one. She kind of, like, they make her come off as unlikable. Mm -hmm. She's late. Mm -hmm. She forgot about her son. She's a deadbeat mom. Oh, my God. A a bitch on on heels. She's... Determined. She's career-focused. I don't know. I just don't really... And then what I think what really seals the deal for me is the fact that she sits on the talks of the teacher, and she's just like, yeah, join me for a seat. She pulls up the chair and then sits on the table. I know. And power play. She she proceeds to be, like, when the teacher voices her concerns, she's just like, no, no, no. It's just a coping mechanism. He's very independent. If he wants to talk to me, he can come and talk to me. And then I love when the teacher shuts her down. She's like, no, bitch. Your kid's f***ing creepy. He did <laughs> these things a week ago. He f***ing killed his cousin. Ma'am, I'm trying to sit you down and let you know I'm taking your kid out of my class. He scares me. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, I would have. This is exactly why I didn't become a teacher. I feel those emotions with Rachel, absolutely. But that's what I like about this movie, is that she really does go through an arc. She goes through a full-blown, learned-a-lesson arc throughout this whole thing. Because at first, she is all of those things that you mentioned. She is not here. She is clearly not focused on her kid. And very... the fact that she even kind of gloats that, yeah, Aiden is very independent. No, no, you're going to be the first teacher to tell me that mm-hmm. that's a bad thing. Like, that's a bad thing, lady. Like, your child f- fully takes care of themselves. Takes care of himself. And it is yeah. it is fascinating. It is so fascinating. But that's what I mean by, I like that this character is flawed. She's not just some innocent-go-lucky final girl that, ha- that like, ugh. <sighs> Oh, look what the world has thrust upon me. Like, at least here, yeah. there's grit to her, and I like it. Yeah, no, that's true. This is very true. She's not innocent by any means. She's kind of a terrible person. And so you're right. Um, we do get a very, like, an arc story. Very clean. Aiden, hi, don't hurt me. Thank you. Don't draw me. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> don't make eye contact. <laughs> I can't, don't look in your eyes. I I wrote it down in my notes. I want to know what Jackie thinks of Aiden. Because you have mentioned before your disdain for, for kids. Children. How do you feel? Children. Youths. How do you feel? Youths. How do you feel about Aiden? Do you sympathize with him? How do you feel about him? What are your vibes? Um, no. I don't sympathize. In all honesty, as f***ed up as it is. I don't sympathize because he's not the main character in this movie. Yeah. It's it's Rachel who's the main character. He's a, a side cast, or a, supporting. Me, supporting cast for sure. Um, but I don't really sympathize. I um, I think I'm too focused on the story. Mm. And I'm too focused on Naomi figuring out this story that I don't have enough time to care for Aiden. Because in in my mind, at least rewatching this and writing everything down, there's so much to kind of dive into and unearth and 
figure out here yeah. that I don't have enough time to care about the child, which is kind of why Naomi Watts is a terrible mother in this movie. <laughs> She's too busy wrapped up in this fucking story. I yeah. And then it becomes complicated later on, which I like because this is this is that part where she doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't give a fuck. Even when he tells her, So we have time to talk before we die. You have you have lots of time. Oh no, I need a different voice for Aiden. So we have time to talk before we die. <laughs> All of a sudden, Aiden is 75 years old. <laughs> but the creepiest thing to me isn't even when he's talking about death, because he looks like a kid that would talk about death, is, Good night, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> he literally just rolls over. Okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to turn my back now. <laughs> Creepy. That's the creepiest part. I, know. I'm, no. Just no. The next day, the adorable mom and son duo get ready for Katie's funeral. At the funeral, we open here some gossip queens stating that it had to have been drugs. 16-year-olds want to die from strokes. Then why the closed casket? Rachel comforts Katie's parents who are visibly distraught. Ruth, Katie's mother, begins to question Rachel in the kitchen. When Rachel can't provide the answers that Ruth is looking for, she asks for her help. That's what you do, right? You ask questions? Rachel puts on her cool kid hat and tries to talk at the teenage mourners smoking on the back patio. That's not the, cool teen- not the teenage mourners. I. <laughs> it's going to be put on a t-shirt. I was a teenage mourner. <laughs> She's able to infiltrate by being hip and relatable because she used to smoke pot. The teens warm up to her and spill the tea on Katie, her secret boyfriend, and the tape. When Rachel asks about the BF, it's revealed that he killed himself on the same night that Katie died. Back inside, Aiden has let himself into Katie's room, and when Rachel goes to retrieve him, she flips through Katie's things and finds creepy photos she scribbled on and a receipt to pick up some developed film from the store. How very 2002. I literally put that in my notes. I'm like, oh, fuck, I forgot that. We (laughs) used to have to take these to the store, wait maybe a day. It was really good if they can do it within an hour, one hour photo, and then go pick them up. A day if you were lucky, bitch. Sometimes if they were busy or if they had like a wedding party that came before, it would take like a week. Oh, but so this is where we get more of the dynamic between Aiden and Rachel because Rachel wakes up late for the funeral. She's like scrambling, looking for her one black dress, I guess. Who has one black dress? This investigator who doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So she's looking for her dress. When she finally goes to the living room, Aiden's fully dressed, tying his own tie. And he's then laid out Rachel's clothing as well, the dress that she was looking for. And he reads her, too. He's like, it's a little wrinkled. Girl, the shade, the shade of it all. While he's putting on his own tie. Yeah, it's a very Mm -hmm. interesting dynamic that they have between the two. And I, I, like I said, I enjoy it. It's different. It's not just like... The doting mother over her child. It's like a really interesting. It's a fucked up dynamic. Like clearly, like she has not been there as a mother. So it's been mm-hmm. it's been interesting. It's really interesting. So when we get to the funeral, there's already cheese man. Why is there always cheese man at funerals? Like I don't ever get people. She died. Like this is not the time to start gossiping. That line still kills me. Are you kidding me? me? That is our family to a T. Oh my god. Any family to a T. This is the time to spill the tea. They're not here to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the absolute truth. But we also get a development and understanding that Ruth is Rachel's sister and Katie was their cousin. And so it just creates everything. Like everything starts developing because it's also revealed mm-hmm. that Katie is the girl from the beginning of the movie. So it's mm-hmm. it's really cool to see all that play together. 
we have been ragging on Rachel and saying, oh, my God, deadbeat mom. <laughs> I hate saying that. But I would be that type of parent. Like, immediately, Rachel's like, bye. I have to talk to people. I'm on the case. I got to go. <laughs> and he just wanders on his own. I have a little... I mean, she's she's distraught, so I, I guess that's why. I just It's a little weird that Ruth is like... Whoa, that's what you do, right? You ask questions, you can find out what happened. She's desperate. Look at the husband. The husband's not even there. The husband doesn't even acknowledge anybody. It's really sad to see. He's like catatonic, like on autopilot, essentially. I guess so. Yeah, you're right. She's desperate. She needs help. She can't find... Like We get the very first big jump scare, the most terrifying jump scare, because I still get chills when I think about it. Because Ruth goes on to describe how does a teenager have a stroke? Like, that just doesn't happen. I'm the one that found the body. (laughs) flash cut get this great sound cue with it it's like an eerie it's like your vhs tape fucking up yes 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 (laughs) yes it still gets me it still gets me it got me when i watched it last night it is imprinted on my brain bitch i -hmm. still have the photo i have to dig it up we took a picture with that body we took a picture with katie's body at monster palooza like 2013 2014 I think. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. The it, the imagery is stellar. Seeing the like the it's not. How do you just? I can't describe it. It's like it's it. Oh, you know what? It's it's like it, it reminds me of the scream painting. I forget what uh, it is. Yeah. But the way that their mouth is, that's what it's giving. It is very that. Apparently, there's a fan theory that Samara her psychic abilities being able to imprint images on people's brains which is why she's able to imprint on this vhs tape she gives you these disturbing Mm -hmm. imageries which is what it's explained later i guess spoiler alert but apparently the way she kills you isn't through like attacking it's she's sending a ridiculous amount of disturbing imagery that your brain essentially disrupts and explodes from the inside out because it's so (gasps) overwhelmed so that's why your body looks like you're shocked which is why you also apparently have a random stroke because your body just and freaks out from the fear and you're rotting from the inside out because of the water which is why your skin is like the sickly gray purple it's so disturbing it's so good it is so good the imagery in this movie is great it's great it's haunting in a familiar way because they don't use anything that you've never seen before Mm -hmm. they just shoot it in a different way yeah that's i think that's it exactly and it makes it creepier one of the best jump scares but rachel does put on her cool kids hat and says hello fellow youths i too like to snort marijuana literally (laughs) (laughs) what are marijuana tablets (laughs) literally and we learn about katie and her secret boyfriend and the tape um this part was a little funny for me i'm like okay whatever i don't believe no well she's a reporter look at her she's i'm surprised she didn't put on a wig yeah, I mean, whatever. We had to move the, the storyline along, so she had to get her information somewhere. But I, I think that's um, what I like about it. She's she's ready. She said, okay, you gave me an assignment. Here I go. Here I go. Yeah, she did. And and, and we love that. She's helping out her sister. She's helping out her family. And uh, she's a bad bitch reporter. The following day, Rachel picks up the developed photos, which help her piece together this wild weekend that Katie had. In the photos are Katie and her boyfriend, some other friends, their cabin, and in the last photo, everyone's faces are distorted. Frightened, Rachel makes her way to work at the local newspaper to continue her research. She calls a source at the coroner's office to confirm everyone's time of death was 10 p.m. 
From there, she makes her way to the Shelter Mountain Inn to see if she can get any information from the inn owner. She questions the inn owner about the teenage group. He states that they didn't pay and had a number of complaints, mostly about the TV. He states that's why he bought tape players for all the rooms and motions to a small library of movies, consisting mostly of hand-me-downs left by guests of the past. Rachel sees an unmarked VHS tape amongst the collection and decides to check in for a nap. She pockets the book and heads to her room. As the sun sets on her cabin, Rachel pops in the cursed tape, and after a few seconds of feedback, the tape begins. At first, it just seems like an odd tape showing close-ups of random objects, but it grows more grotesque as the images grow darker. Rachel is glued to the TV for the entire two-minute tape, and when it's finished, her eyes become dilated. She ejects the tape and sighs. Just then, the phone rings. Rachel walks over and picks it up only to hear a creepy voice stating, So, we pick up the photos. Creepy photos. We're creeped out by the creepy photos. It's still, it's, it's totally creepy. eerie. Is it eerie for you? Because it's eerie for me. It is, and it, it, and when I want to give it credit to the cinematography and to the score, because when she goes out, she walks out of the convenience store with the photos. She's kind of just thumbing through them. They seem regular. And when she comes across the last photo, which is of the group, like, I guess, leaving the cabin and they take a picture in front of the cabin, all their faces are distorted. And when that happens, the camera angle changes to like a low angle. So you're, they're shooting from below Naomi Watts upward. So it's uncomfortable to look at. At the same time, the ambiance noise grows louder because there's like a train going by. She's out on the street. The shot, all of a sudden, the noise just goes up, and it just like it's overwhelming your senses. So it doesn't really let you process. I want to say, what a beautiful breakdown! Oh my god, <laughs> yes, yes, all of that. It's the angle. It's the music. It's and it's just the simplicity of it. It's so mm-hmm. simple to just. Essentially take like the warp tool and twist it on everybody's faces and that's it. Scary movie beautifully spoofs it by having people actually, that's what their face actually looks like at the funeral. (laughs) I forgot. It's wonderfully spoofed. But it is so simplistic that it makes you uncomfortable. And that is the best way to describe this movie is Mm -hmm. that it keeps you uncomfortable the whole runtime. Literally from the beginning of the movie until the end of this movie, you are uncomfortable comfortable and I love those are my favorite type of movies because you're giving me another emotion besides fear you're giving me an mm-hmm. you're giving me a visceral reaction honestly through editing color scheme that you chose and mm-hmm. the few disturbing images you pick as well beautiful I love it and and I love it because these aren't like extreme disturbing images of gore or whatever these are familiar images these are things that you know just shown to you in a different way which i love the fingers freak me out it's so good the fingernails fingernails but from here she moves into the shelter shelter mountain and by the way it's gorgeous i actually think it's really pretty like i want to go to seattle like this sounds great she makes her way there and she runs into i guess a magician innkeeper sure (laughs) Mm -hmm. he's got a lot of time on his hands he's really he took up <laughs> card tricks obviously because he's not getting paid hello how else he's gonna entertain himself because these kids ducked out on paying i know that's so f- up. but we find our infamous tape and we also get some f- excellent imagery of a single red maple tree 
outside of the hotel and it is beautiful. Come on, someone understood their contrasting colors. This red against this blue is beautiful. And then we end up watching the tape. (sighs) Let's talk about the cursed tape. How do you feel about the cursed tape? I think it's great. I think it's uh, disturbing without being on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I've mentioned several times before, it just shows you things you're already familiar with just in a different way, which what do you, I think... What do you mean by that? So, like, there's there's the fingers, like you mentioned. We've all seen fingers. We know what fingers look like, but these are severed fingers, like in a box. And then we get the, the gushing of, like, bloody water, which we see later on. There's just so much imagery. And the chair, there's, like, a single chair. There's, like, uh, that gross, like, millipede-looking thing. Centipede. Um, and then... There's, like, a, a ladder. A woman brushing her hair. Oh, yeah, the woman. The woman in the mirror. And it's the it's the ambient noise for me, too. I think that might be why I don't like ambient noise, actually. I don't like white noise. White noise freaks me out. And this might be because of this f-ing movie. But... And the poltergeist. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's the way it's depicted. I love the dilation of her eyes. Instinctively, I looked away. I was like, you're not going to catch me slipping. I'm not going to watch the full tape. <laughs> I know the fine print. I'm not going to watch the full tape. <laughs> and then we get our infamous, the ring from the ring. Like, I never connected that the ring and a ringing of a telephone could be indicated as the same thing. You're hearing the ring of a ring. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get, connect that either. And we get seven days. This, this is in the lexicon of pop culture for me. Mm-hmm. It's up there with, you're my family now. Like, it's up there. It's also up there with, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, it's up there. Yes. It's up there. It's up there for me. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, so you mean like horror, like pop culture references. And regular pop culture. I feel like not a lot of people now because, you know, there's too many youngins and they don't know nothing about no rang. I'm going to tell you what I don't do. I don't know shit. I don't get stuff. And I don't understand things. The, I, I feel back like in the day. Back in the back day. Back in our day. Back in my day. It, it was, this, was, this was everywhere. I remember this being yeah. like a prank thing. Duh, we just talked about it. It happened to us. fucking assholes. <laughs> We get a title card for day one. Aiden is being his independent self as he gets himself ready for school, even making his own lunch. Rachel is distraught and can't get out of bed. After an awkward encounter with Aiden, Noah meets Rachel upstairs. She shows him the photo of Katie and friends at the cabin with distorted faces and then asks him to take a picture of her. It comes out the same even when he scrolls through the selfies she took. He says, I thought you said this was about a tape. Rachel is hesitant to show him, but ultimately gives in. She waits on the balcony while Noah watches. He comes out to meet her on the patio when he's done. He's not frightened in the least and calls it a student film. The phone rings, but she lets the machine get it. She tries to convince Noah about the validity of the tape, and she realizes she sounds crazy when she says it takes seven days to kill you. She just wants to know who made it and where it came from. Noah asks her to make him a copy of the tape, and he'll see what he can do. Aiden taking care of himself. Go on, Aiden. Also walking outside and getting the weirdest encounter with Noah. And it makes sense kind of later, but they don't see yeah. anything. And then Noah makes his way upstairs. There's a lot of reveals that I didn't realize were going to be reveals about Noah just in general and like everybody's relationships. But mm-hmm. instantly, 
I was going to call her uh, Naomi. Um, <laughs> Rachel is instantly in navigate investigation mode, and she immediately uses the camera and tries to develop like a plan somehow. I like her. I like her a lot, even though she's freaked out. I would be too. Yeah, she's there. I don't mean I wouldn't say I like her a lot. Shade. I do. I think she's fun. Do you want to talk about the camera? The beautiful old flash camera. This relic. The digital it camera. Even, it even has the lens that uh, closes itself. <laughs> it's also got the screen. My favorite is like the screen that shows the picture worse. <laughs> it's all pixelated. <laughs> uh, yeah. The little time capsule here at this movie. The digital camera. Yeah. So she takes some photos. I love the selfies that she took. Very MySpace. She took some selfies and her face still comes all distorted, even after Noah tries to take uh, pictures of her with his knowledge of photography and all. And then Noah demands to watch the tape. Miss VHS players everywhere, by the way. Like, I love seeing VHS players and VHS tapes. Bring it back, (laughs) everybody. Bringing it back. But while he does it, we get... You mentioned earlier that some scenes could have just been faster in pace in terms of, like... We, we, let's like get to where this we need to get right here. this is one of these when she's just looking outside the balcony watching other people watching TV mm-hmm. ooh it's scary it's very rear window for me like she's just standing out there and peeping in on everybody it's just it's so there was no reason for this scene there was no she they could have cut to Naomi or I did too See? they could have cut to Rachel walking out on the balcony and then cut to no walking out there and being not phased by the tape because that shit was hilarious it was because I just, guess Roll credits. That was very student <laughs> film. Very love, student uh, film. He's like, oh, I'm sure it's much scarier at night when you're alone. <laughs> but she's she's obviously terrified, and he does at least cave in and state that make me, hey, boom, I'll send you a copy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> day two. At work the next day, Rachel uses their high-tech VHS players to make a copy for Noah. When she does, she notices the time code doesn't read on the players. She takes the tape to Noah immediately, and he is concerned by the tape not having a timestamp. The couple sit in his giant studio apartment and go through the tape frame by frame when they notice more tape to be discovered. When Rachel tries to stretch the image, she almost breaks Noah's equipment. Their moment is interrupted by his new boo, who is a current student. Rachel awkwardly storms out after Noah tries to show his new girl the tape. Noah catches up to her at the elevator where they have a back and forth revealing their past. They used to be in a relationship. (gasps) Gay gasp. Gay gasp. So Rachel just uses all, I mean, I guess I would too. Why not? She uses all of her work equipment at her disposal for her own personal gain. I'm going to die. I'm going to, yes, absolutely. Um, Love the shirt, by the way. this is cool. Why do you remember her shirt? Because I wrote it down. It was the red striped, like, remember when like collegiate wear was like super, like she got this at Aeropostale. Little polo. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, she got this at uh, Hollister. Little embroidered birds. Ew, you're so gross. So... She goes to work to make a copy of the tape for Noah. And when she does, she sees weird scramblings of time code that's not transferring over. It is transferring over. Well, I mean, it is. Sorry. But I mean, like, it's not showing any time code. And that's a no-no in the techie world. This is something spooky. And then they try to see more parts of the tape that apparently aren't showing. And she almost fucked up Noah's shit. And then they almost have another romantic moment. And then the new girl from NCIS shows up. (laughs) <laughs> i'm so happy you mentioned it because i didn't know i really didn't i didn't i don't watch i didn't watch ncis but richard knew because okay hold on really quick i forgot to say this is richard's first watch of the ring Ooh. and also it was their first watch of the evil dead the week prior i forgot to mention that 
Um, but yeah, this, so this was the first watch of the ring. And that was the first thing he said was like, oh, that's an NCIS bitch. I was like, this bitch has had bangs for how many decades? <laughs> black hair with black bangs. Those little Jerry Nunn bangs. It's her signature bitch. look. Bangs. I got bangs. But she ro- rolls in and interrupts the very loving moment. And it starts a fight. What I find hilarious is that obviously he didn't. We learn later on, ooh, ooh, that Noah is the father of Aiden. Ooh, 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 ooh my Duh. God, bomb, bombshell. But she wants to yell at him and state that, like, ask, grow up, grow up. How are you going to tell a grown-ass man wearing cargo pants and flip-flops to grow up? You need to understand who you're asking, Miss Rachel. No, goodbye. Oh, my God. Um, I just want to really quick jump back to the scene where they're trying to stretch the image. And there's this weird, like, sexual tension slash romantic moment they try to push. Because when she damn near breaks the equipment, she gives him him the I'm going to fuck you smirk. And it's interrupted by the new girl. And I was like, oh, she still has the hots for Noah. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? A lot of people. I would. We know. We know. But before Rachel leaves, she gets another imagery from the videotape. (gasps) She's starting to see images from the videotape of the ladder that she walks underneath. Uh, It's bad luck, girl. It's a horrible luck. Day three. Rachel tracks down Becca at the local mental health facility and tries to question her about what happened the night Katie died. All of her questions go unanswered, and all Becca says is that she will show you On the fourth day. Oh. Well, I like the way I said it better. Okay. Later that day, Rachel uses her work resources to take stills from the tape, as well as stretch the images on the tape. When she stretches the image, she finds a lighthouse. And we also get a bloody nose scene and a scene where Rachel is able to pick a live fly off of the TV screen from the tape. <gasps> Ew. It's Jeff Goldblum. <gasps> In his final form. In his final form. So we finally track down Becca and we figure out what happened that night. Kind of. Clearly, Becca is extremely terrified. I actually really like the scene where they try to navigate her through the hallway and have to put up a screen between her and the TV. It's f***ed up. Mm-hmm. I really like it. It's very girl interrupted. I loves. And then Becca revealed what? It actually gave me uh, Final Destination 2 vibes when they go find the bitch. Oh, wait a minute. Bitches. Who survived the first one and she's in the mental hospital willingly because she doesn't want to die. So she's in the padded room. Uh-huh. Very much that. And then she reveals that you're going to be, re- you're going to know on the fourth day, which is why it happens around the fourth. Okay. But um, yeah, so she somehow knows it. She, well, I guess she told it. She already saw the tape. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense to me how she would know that she would see it on the fourth day. You didn't watch. She's the clairvoyant. Tape. Now she is. You've been touched <laughs> by. You've been touched by Samara, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but we go to a new area of like tape viewing machines. I think it's rad. I hope that this. I hope we still have stuff like this. I know we don't, but I love this facility of like VHS oh, yeah. tapes and being able mm-hmm. to do all this. I'm sure like the big archives like Universal, Sony, Paramount still have these type of machines. Yeah. But we get a, a vignette that was, this is like the third time it happens because multiple times, the first time that she watches the tape, she tried touching the fly and it, she mm-hmm. like couldn't happen. The second time is I think when she's back working at Noah's place and it's like skipping and she tries to touch it and she still can't touch it. This time... Well, she had it paused and its little wings and legs were still fluttering. That's what happened. And then this time she's finally able to pick the fly off of the screen from like whatever mm-hmm. dimension it's from into real life and her nose bleeds. 
iconic. Whenever I think of nosebleeds in movies, I think of The Ring. Like, every mm-hmm. single time. And uh, Drag Me to Hell. Oh, but, <laughs> but that's when the stupid uh, oversharer likes to come back and check on her and catches her with the bloody nose. She's like, oh, you got a little... You got a little coke problem there, oh honey. Oh my god! <laughs> but this is great. You're right. You're right. I forgot to mention the like kind of running gag of the fly. Um, so this is where it kind of culminates, and this is where you know. This is kind of where it gives you more of an inkling. Like this isn't just a tape. Like there's more to this. <laughs> this, is, this is not just a tape. It's really rad, and I I glad I'm glad that you mentioned it because this movie I feel like first and foremost to me is like a murder mystery. We're trying to find the killer or mm-hmm. the source of these murders, and you're along for the ride and trying to uncover it. And it's really good. It helps invest you in another level because by day four, when we finally reach day four, I'm tense as a mother. We're halfway there. We're more than halfway there. <laughs> Day four. Rachel is doing some old school research at our favorite place, the library. She finds the lighthouse from the tape in a book and does some pre-Google searches on the internet. From there, she discovers the woman from the tape, Anna Morgan. She was an award-winning horse breeder who ultimately committed suicide. As Rachel deep dives in her research, now going over old newspaper articles and finds herself scribbling hair over the face of a woman, just like she found in Katie's room. More creepy connections. This is honestly just like a research montage scene, and I love it. And that's what she spends the whole day doing, essentially. We do love a good montage scene. Good old-fashioned research in the library with actual books, which is nice to see. (laughs) Seriously. And it's like seriously old-school stuff. But my favorite thing that she finds in all of her research, and it totally stuck out to me, is the idea that Anna Morgan is this, like, gothy woman hanging out with the rest of these Stepford wives in that one group (laughs) picture that she's clearly composited (laughs) into. It's so funny yeah. to me. It's so funny. I can't say anything because I'm usually that goth friend amongst all my other friends who are wearing like colors and things. <laughs> I'm, I'm like the sad Relatable. Friend, right? Day five. Noah has a reality check at the convenience store when he sees his distorted image on their CCTV. That night, Rachel gets back from more researching and calls her sister to ask if she can watch Aiden while she goes upstate to check out the Morgan farm. While on the phone with her, she begins to choke. As she coughs uncontrollably, she begins to pull a long black string out of her throat. She continues to pull until a small round receptor comes out, ending the black cord. When she reaches back for the phone, her sister is no longer there, and a water drop comes out of the phone receiver. This prompts Rachel to go and check on Aiden, and when she does, she finds a young Samara sitting in a chair in his room. When Rachel approaches her, Samara grabs her arm, and we get a quick flash cut of key points in Samara's life. The whole thing was a nightmare that scares Rachel awake. She gets out of bed when she hears a noise coming from the living room. She makes her way through the home, passing Aiden's empty room, finding him watching the tape in the living room. Rachel screams and scolds him, which is immediately followed by a phone call that she hangs up on. It's followed by another phone call, only this time it's Noah stating that he now believes her. Rachel tells Noah that he watched the tape. He who? Our son! (gasps) Oh my god. What a plot development. Day five. I think Noah's reality check is rad. I think that checkout girl is hilarious. You're gonna die. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're gonna die. Excuse me. You're going to die in there. (laughs) <laughs> I hate you. I fucking knew it was coming. <laughs> but now we spooked, and I only want to move on because Sarah Rue. Hello, Sarah Rue, our babysitter. Oh, the babysitter. Yes. There's also another scene with her 
in one of the deleted scenes that I wish they had put in. It's not necessary, which is why they cut it. But I just like seeing Sarah Rue. She's great. I love her. But then Rachel decides to call her sister Ruth to see if she can take care of Aiden while she goes and bees and is a busybody at the Morgan farm. And we get this great... First of all, when she when she's talking to her sister on the phone, her sister's being very catatonic and just giving her, like, very Vague. monotone answers. Yeah. And then she... Rachel doesn't even realize she's too busy coughing up a storm. And this is a really gross, like, intense scene. I This is one that sticks out in my head for me of the... Because it's very real. She sells it very well. Ugh. And she she erupts in this coughing fit that results in her pulling... I, what I can only describe as, like, what they use for, for medical procedures to, like, for brain waves and shit mm-hmm. like that. Pulls it out from inside of her. Ooh. Attached with hair. Just long, disgusting strands of black hair attached to it. It is disturbing. You're right. The imagery is there. And it's how you know Sam is here. Because all of a sudden, Sydney, your phone is leaking. And like her. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. And it begins to drip. And I think it's the neatest thing. I think it's the neatest thing that that is the warning that Samra is around. It's just water. It's so It's so simple. It's so simple. Is it Samara or Samara? Samara, sorry. Samara is here, and I think it's so rad. It's so good. It's so good. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. And we get our quick cuts of more flashbacks. We get. We actually finally fully get like our first look of Samara. We've only gotten glimpses. We've only gotten parts of her. But this is when we finally get to see her chilling in the chair, just sitting down doing her Samara thing. <laughs> With her hair in her face. With her hair in her face. How do you feel about her character design? I think her character design is great. It's oh so creepy. God. Everybody's creeped out by the creepy kid. Yeah. Especially people who don't like kids were especially creeped out by creepy kids because they can probably actually, yeah, like they can actually do some damage. Normally I can just like push them away with a stick or something, but Samara will come and kill my ass. I think it's so, it, it's, it's simple. It's simple. Surprisingly simple. It's just long hair. She's wet. She's in a dress and she's gross, but it is so impactful. I love her design. With fingernails. 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 From here, she wakes up, and we also get another sense that Samara burned and grabbed her by the wrist the same way that she did in the dream, and she wakes up with that scar still in her hand. Ooh. Mm -hmm. This is real. This is real now, and it gets even more f***ing real when we find out that Aiden watched the tapes. Why, baby? Why? I couldn't sleep. And she gives a great line delivery. I love when she screams on the phone. We get the first ring. Hangs it up. Second ring. Grabs that sucker. <laughs> yeah, it always comes out of Sarah Paulson. I know. That's but she me. does she does great. She gets she's a great screamer, like we said. She gets just a great screamer. And this is the first taste that we get of it. And this is where Rachel's character kind of turns. This now it now all of a sudden she's fully invested in Aiden. She calls him baby for the first time, I think. Like the this is also when she, her selfishness is no longer there, and this becomes her main motivation because now Aiden's gonna die, and now all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like, motives change, especially when Noah comes in and finally re- like says hi to a son, for once, <laughs> acknowledges his existence. Seriously, you jackass! I like it. I like it a lot, especially since everybody's relationships change. Like things become so frantic, and heightened. Yes. Yes. Day six, Rachel is dropping Aiden off at her sister Ruth's house while she goes to the Morgan estate for answers. 
On the ferry ride to Moesco Island, Rachel also discovers that the Morgans had a daughter. Rachel decides to approach a caged horse on the ferry, resulting in it freaking out, breaking loose, and jumping off of the front of the boat, killing itself. Back on the mainland, Noah continues the research by breaking into a mental health facility to get the records on Anna Morgan. Back on the island, Rachel manages to hitch a ride to the Morgan farm where she finds Richard Morgan. She tricks him into an interview by stating she's there to discuss the horses and not Anna. Richard quickly calls her out and Rachel tries to show him the tape. He wants no part in it and shows her the door. At the records basement, Noah finds Anna Morgan's file, and in it is another file, one for a child. On the island, Rachel has made her way to the only doctor on the island and asked about the Morgans and their daughter. The doctor explains that Anna always wanted a daughter, and one winter, the Morgans left and came back with Samara. They adopted her. Shortly after that, Anna begins to see the doctor, said she was suffering from visions. When she couldn't help them, she referred them to a hospital on the mainland. From there, Rachel makes her way back to the Morgan house and just lets herself in. She begins to sort through an old box on the floor and even pops in the tape that Richard stole from the hospital. On the tape is Samara being evaluated by a psychiatrist. She admits that she wants to hurt people and that she's sorry, that it won't stop. As Rachel is watching the tape, Richard Morgan walks up behind her and knocks her to the ground. He picks up the TV and carries it to the bathroom, adding it to a collection of electronics, cords, and cables that he's rigged to commit suicide. As he and Rachel argue about Samara and her motives, it's too much for him to bear. He hits the switch on the surge protector and electrocutes himself to death. Noah runs just in time to calm Rachel down. And as they make their way off the property, they decide to check the barn where they discover where they kept Samara. In her room above the horse stables, they discover a tree burned into the wood of the wall. Rachel recognizes it and brings them both back to the Shelter Mountain Inn. Oh my god. Oh my god. And this all happens in like 10 minutes, bro. Like this happens in like 20 minutes. Here, like anxiety is through the roof. Here is like you are just waiting, dreaded, and terrified. So let's just break this bitch down very quickly. On their way to the ferry ride, Rachel d- believes that before you die, you see the ring. <gasps> she said it. She said it. Oh, they said it. They said it. But I want to talk about this ferry ride, this f***ed up ferry ride that happens. If an animal is scared of you, stay away from it. Is that true? It's very true. First of all, I don't know why she felt the need to go over and, and try and pet this animal. Sure, whatever. But clearly, like you stated, if that animal is not feeling you, don't continue to try and calm it down because she, this animal flips the fuck out, breaks out of its cage, and runs rampant all over the ferry until it like freaks out ultimately and jumps over the side of the boat. What's brutal about it is that it, it jumps over and then it flips and then you hear it hit the boat again before it hits the water. It's great foley. It is great foley. You see it struggle and it's really sad. Everybody's freaking out. I have to mention, when the horse is freaking out, you get the little girl, Daddy, my horsey! <laughs> and then when it dies, this poor girl is just traumatized for life because everybody makes their way back to the boat so they can see if what's going on with this horse and all you see is the same image from the video and it's just it hit the motor a river of blood and it's a river of blood it is disturbing i really think it's effective it is i do have to note though 
when they run to the back of the boat and they see the blood and everybody's shocked and horrified, the scream that the little girl gives is hilarious to me. It's hilarious Because that is some white people problems bullshit. Oh my god, my horse died. (laughs) But it's just, it's so funny because it's a genuine... (laughs) It feels like a joke from the Addams Family. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. That's what it is. It feels like a joke from the Addams Family. It's very in mood. It's it's. I think it's effective. I think it's effective. And it is. From, it from is. here, we go to the house farm. We meet Richard. He's immediately on edge. And that's pretty much what you get. She gets more imagery. We see the mirror from the movie. We see other things. She finds out more about Anna. But I feel she like... She sees we, the window. She sees the window. But then she leaves. It's just a lot of moving parts, honestly. It's just a lot of moving parts. Because the investigation needs to move on. She's got one day left. I also forgot to mention, before she leaves, Aiden draws her another picture. And throughout this whole movie, Aiden has been drawing pictures of things that happen before they happen. And he draws mm-hmm. her a picture. And when she leaves the house, it's the same picture that Aiden drew. So she questions Aiden, and what she gets out of Aiden is that Aiden has been talking to Samara. Why did you draw it? Because she told me to. Who? (laughs) The little girl. She talks to you? Obviously. But my favorite thing about it is that she doesn't once question Aiden. She doesn't once believe, like, not believe Aiden. From here on out, she believes Aiden. She goes to him for advice and to where to go next. I think that's interesting. It is interesting, and it's because... He knows more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's now seen the tape, and now he's actually communicating with Samara, so he has more insight. Um, because he even says he's he's the one who gives her the insight to check the barn because he says she doesn't like the she doesn't like the horses. They keep her up at night. So later on, she remembers that, and she's like, "We need to check the fucking barn." Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting plots. Then she moves on to the doctor. We meet the doctor, and the doctor themselves is spooked by any time that Samara is mentioned, but it's also mentioned that when she was gone, things got better here. Everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything got better. She uses a very interesting catchphrase of, when you live on an island, when one person catches a cold, it's everybody's cold. And I was like, oh, that's haunting. It's very creepy. It's very, it reminds me of like a town with a deep dark secret that's not going to tell anybody. Like, it's really good. Yeah. And it's why this Samara's disappearance is capable of happening because nobody asks questions. My favorite thing that Mm -hmm. she asks her when she's drilling her with questions is, was there anything ever wrong with her? What do you mean? I mean whatever you mean. And that within itself is great. That is great. (laughs) Yeah. But from here she moves back because we also find out that Anna was receiving disturbing images and she had to be transported to another place, but so did Samara. (gasps) So the mystery is becoming unfolding because when she makes it back to the house, this is... How do you describe the the suicide scene? Haunting, uh, intense, real, intense, amplified, brutal. Because it is brutal. Because it's not just throwing a hairdryer or a toaster in the bathtub. He has taken every single electronic extension cord, wire, anything that will conduct electricity is in that bathroom. The this oh, the setup is great. The bathtub is overflowing. He even goes as far to put like a metal gag on himself as well. The ones that Ooh. they use in for the horses, I believe they're called a yes. riddle or something. I don't know. I don't know the proper term. I'm not rich, so it it's it's so disturbing. And it's also his like confession that leave that girl alone, and also the fact that everybody states it. She never sleeps. She never sleeps. Mm-hmm. The, my favorite part is when he's walking back into the bathroom, and she's like. 
uh, she Rachel mentions something about the child, like oh, you know, Anna only wanted a child, and he just stops and he screams, "My wife was not supposed to have a child!" Oh my god, it it just like it's like a gut punch. It is. There's a lot of gut punches in this one. It's explained how badly they want this kid, how many times they tried to have this kid. At one point, the doctor also said sometimes it's just not meant to be, but they kept trying anyway. And it's just, it's so conflicting. It's so disturbing. And he does it right in front of her. He flips that switch and everything goes haywire. And she is, she she is an excellent screamer. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she is an excellent screamer. Because the scream she lets out is just gut-wrenching. Like, you can clearly tell she's traumatized and know what comes in and... It, that's the end of this. That's the end of day six. That's all we get from day six. F- me, is it wild? Wild. It, like I said, this is where it, it really ramped up and it hit the gas. Um, because then, as they're leaving, she decides to check the barn. When they check the barn, they ch- for some reason this barn has a light. I don't know. I don't have a barn. I guess barns have lights. Uh, I f-ing love this barn setup because we get one shot that I got chills at. It was just the single room lit up and this giant ladder that led down Mm -hmm. into the dark abyss of the farm. It was so rad. This is disturbing. It's really creepy. I really like all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they walk up there to see essentially her room, I guess. And it's just like a small twin bed, a little TV. TV set, a little chair, and like a lamp. And that's it. It's it's really sad, the fact that you know, she they made her sleep out here. But it also explains why all the horses would freak out that they explained. Because all of these horses committed suicide because of Samara. It's really, mm-hmm. it's disturbing, eerie, macabre shit. And I think that's why I like this movie so much. Like, after my second watch. Now I'm like, oh my god, I love this movie. I finally went, got over <laughs> my trauma and I watched it. <laughs> Day 7. Noah and Rachel have made their way back to Cabin 12. Rachel accepts her fate, saying her time is up as the sun is setting. Noah grows upset and knocks over a jar of marbles that pools in the middle of the room, revealing a small dip in the center. He takes an axe to the floor, and after a few good whacks, he unveils a capped-off well under the cabin. The two jump down and remove the huge stone lid from the well opening. The duo are too busy looking into the well, trying to gauge how deep it is to notice the TV in the cabin is coming loose thanks to unseen forces. A huge swarm of flies erupts from the well, causing the couple to flail in anguish, resulting in Rachel knocking the TV loose and knocking her down the well. Rachel hits the water with great force, and she inspects her surroundings, finding fingernails and tally marks scratched into the stone. Seven marks, to be exact. Suddenly, the stone lid begins to close on the well cap. When it closes fully, Samara reveals herself to Rachel in the water, and when she does, she grabs Rachel's arm, resulting in a flashback of her death. We flash back to the day Anna Morgan put a plastic bag over Samara's head and threw her down the well. After the flashback, Rachel finds Samara's fresh, dead body in the water. After Noah calls for her, the body quickly deteriorates in her hands. We cut to Rachel after she's been rescued from the well. Rachel can only think about Samara and Anna's relationship when she realizes it's really about her relationship with Aiden. The couple picks up Aiden from Ruth's house and head home, and Rachel tucks him in and shows Noah out. Wowza. Day 7 said, we're gonna fuck you up. So this is what I mean by, I didn't remember this part. I remember only this part because of Scary Movie, when all the balls just go to the center of the room, and then there's like a basketball, and then there's a bowling (laughs) ball. But I forgot that this genuinely happens. And we get the... The, rev- the reveal of the fact that this well has been there this entire time. Mm-hmm. Gaga, Rama, Gagatandra. In a deleted scene, 
the innkeeper is also murdered by Samara. He watched the tapes oh. and they find his body, which is why they're still in the shelter and in. So there's a lot of there's a lot of deleted scenes that I wish they included, especially one at the end of the movie. But I'll, I'll mention that once we get to the end of the movie. They axe our way in and we get the reveal of the well. The well is iconic. The well is iconic. You mm-hmm. see a creepy stone well, you think of the ring. And this is where we actually get the ring. When the stone lid gets closed over the the opening of the well the light around the lid is what forms the ring and i remember richard asking me he's like so they explain what the ring is like in the movie they explain like what the ring is that you see and i was like yeah they do explain i was like but don't like expect it to be huge and revelatory like i was like it's it's gaggy in the movie i was like but it's not like don't expect it to be some big huge reveal it's just like oh Mm. that's what the ring is See, I feel like it is a pretty medium-sized reveal. I would I would tip it. Like, I would give it but a good couple dollars. I know for someone who's never seen this movie and, and has only seen, like, it referenced, you're going to think it's, like, some big gaggy reveal. That's understandable. It's not. Yeah. I love that. I love that a TV is what takes Rachel out. I think it's fucking hilarious. It actually <laughs> made me go, huh! Like a huh! <laughs> um, But she falls into the wall, and we get this what I think is the big reveal because you still think that it was the father that murdered Samara. And it's actually revealed that Anna was the one that did it in the most horrific fuck way. It's really though. This is some, this is some up shit. The plastic bag throwing her into the well. She's a little girl and also telling her before she throws her in. All I ever wanted was you. And then Uh put, oof. I think this, in my opinion, this is the most horrifying scene in the movie. Um, it's the context, it's the script, it's the manner in which and it's the manner in which Samara was killed. Um, oh, it's just brutal. It's really brutal. It is. It's a very, very brutal scene. And we, I was expecting a bigger, like, not to, this isn't a, this is not a detriment, but a bigger grand like fight between Samara and Rachel. I was mm-hmm. expecting like Samara to pop out and them fight, but that's just like your expectations of horror. And I like that it didn't go that way. It gave me what I wasn't expecting. We've sympathized with Samara and we see her body just disintegrate in her hands. And it's great imagery. I think it's great imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm, but the lesson here that Rachel learns is that being a parent to a gifted child is like, for me is, is like a wow moment. I was like, Oh, I love this the story arc of connecting of like the two I guess neglectful parents in their own way learning to deal with their gifted child but I think the real lesson that we learned here was don't kill children like they'll come back and kill you (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's the real lesson here this is the real lesson (laughs) (laughs) oh we also learned that she didn't die because he keeps yelling it's past sunset because we're running against the clock and she survived, or did she? But she doesn't say anything. That's what bothers me more than anything. This bitch, Rachel, when I say bitch, I mean Rachel. You need to leave. She is sitting at the bottom of the well with dead old little dead girl body in her hands. And Noah's calling for her, like, Rachel, it's past sunset. Are you still alive? Like, you know, did we make... She doesn't say anything. She just sits there. She doesn't say anything. She's in no, shock. No, I'm okay. No, nothing. She just sits there in silence. And then the cat... The catatonic silence continues outside of the well when she's sitting there and she's still just thinking about everything that happened because she knows it's not really over, I think. I think she deep down she really I, knows 
I think she does. What I think it is, is that she's coming to a realization of how shitty of a mom she's been. Because when she goes back to Aiden, she's like the best mom. She's laying in the bed with him. Mm -hmm. She's like, of course I'm here. I love you so much. Of course I'm not going to work. I think that's what it is. Because when I thought this was the ending. So when the actual ending happens, she's just as gagged as everybody else is. True, true, because true. you think we've solved it. We figured out, oh, oh, we figured out the mystery. So her her, her soul is at rest, is what you're expecting. We set her free. We says. set her free. The next morning, Aiden wakes to find his mom in bed with him. He asks about the young girl and if she's still in the dark place. Rachel responds with, no, we set her free. Aiden then scolds her for helping Samara when she realizes he too has been touched by Samara on the arm. Aiden then explains, don't you understand? She never sleeps and his nose begins to bleed. Rachel immediately calls Noah, only it's too late. His TV is turned on, and Samara is closing her way in on Noah as he watches in disbelief. By the time Rachel reaches him, it's too late. He has succumbed to Samara's curse. After a scream, Rachel decides to leave her dead baby daddy on the floor for his girlfriend to find. She leaves and heads back home, where she realizes the only reason she was skipped was because she made a copy of the tape. She takes Aiden to work and has him make a copy too. He explains that... She's never going to stop. And our movie ends. What a bleak ending, and I f***ing love it. I f***ing love it. I f***ing love it. I love it. I love it. So, this, we find, this is our fine. So, okay, hold on. Pump the brakes. We thought the movie was over. Gag, it's not over. This is the real ending. And we finally get a full reveal of Samara coming out of the TV and killing a bitch. Iconic. fan Fantastic. It's so crawling, the crawling out of the TV, the showing of the well, like her crawling out of it, her crawling out all creepy. Granted, the effects don't really hold up, but I'm willing to overlook it for the nostalgia factor. Um, so she comes out of the TV and it's great because it's happening so slow at first. It's very building up this tension. (sighs) As soon as she fully crawls out of the TV, she speeds up and she already like just catches up to Noah and it scares him and knocks him back. This is a great like final like fight down slash kill scene Ugh. because we also get a reveal of, he's of her grotesque. Shut up. We also get a semi reveal of <laughs> her grotesque face when her hair moves its way out of her face and you see her gross eye and her mouth and it's all nasty and gory. It's very, it's very, it's very Sydney. Your TV's leaking. It's Mm -hmm. great. It's so good. I love the reveal. I love the way that it's done. Yes, it didn't age the best, but I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. I just can't believe that Rachel just leaves him and leaves for the ex-girlfriend to find the body. She was like, he's not my problem anymore. You can clean this up. And goes to save, uh, she goes back home to save Aiden and has him make a copy of the tape. And I like the way that she does it. Like, she actually has to, like, co- like hold his hand and make him do the motions. And it's the line, It's going to keep killing, isn't it? She'll never stop. You're going to be okay. And that's all she says. She doesn't yeah. say anything else except for the fact that you're going to be okay. And he asks her, what about the person we show it to? What happens to them? She didn't say anything. And then so moving really ends. ends. So I talked about an extra deleted scene, and I want to mention it before we finish this out. And the ending that they were going to have was a huge v- VHS rental store, and she was going to take that tape and put it on the shelf, look at it, and leave. Meaning that it start it begins its circulation again. That someone's going to get that tape, and it's going to keep going. So I mentioned in the books that this the books get very different in terms of that this 
curse is technically a virus. And in order to pass the virus, you have to keep spreading it. And this is how the virus spreads. It even, like, mutates to also be able to, like, have Samara re-enter the world if a pregnant woman watches the tape. And that pregnant woman gives birth to a new evil entity. And that entity creates a new evil virus that's taking out humans it's really interesting like the fact that it develops that way so this is technically a virus that is now spreading oh it's too real you know you know what i'm talking about so Mm -hmm. this is wow 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 we finished we're here i want to know your final thoughts your final feelings and of course your final score obviously i have very personal nostalgic feelings for this movie so for myself it's a buy it because i do own this movie i love this movie i grew up on this movie this is pop culture this is horror culture this is remake history um so i enjoy this movie but for those that have never seen it and i didn't realize there were so many people that had never seen this movie like my significant other i was gagged i was like if you don't, if you've never seen this movie, you know this movie because of pop culture. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. So I highly suggest for anyone who's never seen it to at least watch or rent it. To at least rent it so you can fully like know the references that these are referenced in other pop culture moments, but also horror movie moments. Mm-hmm. And just this was like a really well done remake in my opinion granted it was it was a little you know wishy-washy there in the beginning in the adaptation i will overlook that but everything else it was really well done yeah absolutely my answer is buy it even if you've never seen it because this movie it's not a boo it does go boo and when it does go boo it's terrifying i think the atmosphere i think the storytelling i think the acting i think the the imagery is just so good. It is so, it's, that's the only way you could say it is that it's so good. I mm-hmm. don't go into this movie expecting your traditional type of horror movie in terms of like, oh, kill, move story, kill, move story, kill, move story. This is all story. And I think that's why I love it so much. I like these characters a lot, even the creepy f-ing kid. I like the development and just the macabre eerie anxious feeling you get this whole movie it deserves to be watched so buy it it's the it's the j-horror it's a totally different vibe it's a totally yeah. different type of horror so if y'all have never experienced a j-horror movie this is a good like tiptoe into it yeah this is the one this is the one after that just watch the original trust me just go watch the original one miss call Ringu, Ringu. Uh, and all those other ones but we are inching closer to our last five episodes of season two. This wild and crazy season is coming to a close, and to help us celebrate is a new themed month filled with laughs, scares, and campy deliciousness. Next month is our April Fool's Month. We are talking the hilarity that is horror comedies. Starting off is the surprise hit mixing a slasher with one of our fave Disney movies, Freaky Friday. So April Fool's begins with 2020's Freaky. I'm so excited for our April Fool's Month. It is going to be full of horror comedies. I'm so excited for the lineup. Y'all, y'all are not ready for the lineup because they're so good. They're I, I, legends in the horror community. I'm so excited. Y'all can't take it. They just can't take it. Y'all just an overgrown orangutan. 
You overgrown orangutans can follow the queens on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. That concludes this week's episode, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Can't wait to start our final themed month mm. of season two. This has been such a good season. I'm so excited. It's been a fun season. It's so, so fun. Until then, stay safe and stay queer, y'all. Love y'all. Seven bye. days to the next episode. Oh <laughs> bye. <goodness>. Bye, <laughs> bye, 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 bye. <laughs>